Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about one of the great literary mysteries, the 11-day disappearance of author Agatha Christie in 1926. I'm joined by Marie Benedict, who is the author of The Mystery of Mrs. Christie. Marie's book is a novel that imagines the 11-day disappearance and the events leading up to the disappearance. This real-life mystery would be intriguing even if Agatha Christie wasn't at the centre of it. Following a row with her unfaithful husband Archie, Christie disappears from her home in Surrey, leaving her car beside a lake. The missing author becomes front-page news while the hunt is in progress, and eventually she's discovered at a hotel more than 200 miles away, claiming to have suffered amnesia. It's an intriguing story for several reasons. That summer, Christie had released her sixth novel, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is famous for its unreliable narrator. It was clear that Agatha Christie's ability to spin up a mystery was going to make her very famous. And here she was, at the centre of a real mystery. Welcome, Marie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to talk to you about this book, which is so much about books and obviously about one of the world's most famous authors. Thank you. Um, Yes, congratulations on the book. Well done. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, So it is a famous mystery. Why were you drawn to it? You know, I've been an Agatha Christie fan for a long time, way back to my childhood. I had a wonderful aunt who was an English professor and a poet and a rebellious nun who kind of kept me in literature. I was a voracious reader, still am. And um, so I started reading the Agatha Christie Mysteries when I was in middle school, and I really never stopped. So I keep, you know, I I write books. I write historical fiction about um, unknown, for the most part, historical women who've made major contributions, left behind a significant legacy. And while Agatha Christie is an unknown because of my fascination with her, I kind of always had her on my list of women I wanted to consider writing about. When I dipped into the research about Agatha, learning so much more about her than the sort of iconic image we have of her, you know, with the perfectly coiffed silver hair, with a cup of tea penning these incredible mysteries, I realized that her upbringing was fascinating. And, of course, I really learned a lot about the disappearance itself. And exactly the way you framed it, you know, here's a woman who's coming off writing one of the, you know, really considered one of the best mystery books of all time, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, within a year finds herself, you know, really in the crosshairs of this most famous disappearance. I just became intrigued with the whole notion of it and the sense that I had that resolving this mystery, even in my own fictional way, might help me understand the woman that she was, the way that she kind of uh, built up her legacy. Um, I had a sense that resolving that might give us some insights and answers into that question. So why try and explain it through fiction uh, rather than, say, a traditional nonfiction account? That's a great question. Um, I think for several reasons, and and a lot of it is the reason why I always write fiction as opposed to nonfiction, um, made all the more so in this situation. Um, You know, when I look into the past, I love the research. It's one of the things that really draws me to writing these stories, is going down that rabbit hole into the past, almost like a portal 
Um, and when we dip into the past, very often, you know, where these women are hidden um, in the shadows and in the little crooks of history, um, when you go to reconstruct their lives and, and the worlds that they inhabit, very often the sort of materials you might want to, to paint a really full picture just aren't there. Most of the time, because it's only recently that historical women, their documentation, their narratives have really been considered worthy of keeping. You know, women's stories really traditionally have not been part of the narrative. So when you want to paint a full picture, you don't always have all the resources that you might like, the sort of resources you might need to write nonfiction. Um, and that was even more so the case with um, this mystery, this, this appearance of Agatha Christie. Um, one of the most useful um, pieces of research or, or materials that I used was Agatha Christie's own autobiography, which if any of your listeners out there have never read, I highly recommend. It's just a wonderful, deep look at her life from her own perspective. And normally when I would find an autobiography about a woman I'm writing about, I would be delighted. And I was. I mean, this provided so much um, rich material to work with. But there is absolutely no mention of her disappearance. At the core, you know, of her life is this famous event, this really transformative event, which is suspiciously omitted from her autobiography. So when you go back to reconstruct her life, when you go back to reconstruct the disappearance, um, you have really nothing from her herself. And so it's really in those shadows where we don't know what happened, where we can't really create a full account, um, that the fiction kind of allows us to fill in the shadows um, and create, at least from my perspective, a fuller story of what happened. Again, it's fiction, it's my version, but it is really extrapolated quite logically from the research and, and what I've come to know about the particular character of that woman. So after her disappearance, uh, Agatha Christie went on to become, well, world famous, still is, right? Um, right. But why, in all the times she must have met journalists in all those later years, why didn't the the story behind her disappearance really come through? Why, why wasn't she forced to explain it in a better way? That's a great question. I, you know, I think really there are two things that are happening there. First, you know, she, she does, um, you know, as you really beautifully um, framed, you know, she really is a mystery novelist on the rise at the time of her disappearance. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, yes, it's her sixth novel, and it's, it's the most successful and well-received to date of, her, of all of her books at that time. And, but it's really in later years that she becomes the iconic Agatha Christie, you know, the Agatha Christie we all think of when, um, when we imagine her, when we envision her. Um, the woman that came out on the other side of the disappearance was quite different than the woman uh, before she disappeared. Growing up, and in her early adulthood, and into her early 30s, she really was a very gregarious sort of, um, she had a ton of joie de vivre. You know, she went on this incredible trip around the world and became one of the first um, Western, they think the first Western woman to serve. So, you know, she really had this incredible spirit. This whole event, the sort of events leading up to the disappearance, and I think the kind of media circus that resulted from this disappearance, which in many ways, it was really unprecedented for the time. I think it it really impacted her and changed her. And she became, in the years after the disappearance, very reserved, um, very reclusive almost. 
Um, and she really shied away from interactions with uh, the public, the press. Um, only when she absolutely had to do it did she do it. So, you know, and to answer your question, I think there were probably more limited opportunities than there would have been had the disappearance never occurred um, to actually ask her about it. But also I think there was the, she made it known and her, you know, her agent and her publisher really made it known that that topic was forbidden. Um, and that was something that extended to her family as well. Her own family knew that they weren't to ask her about that. And the time being what it was, people respected that, um, that sort of boundary, that barricade that she put around that time. And, and definitely there were uh, journalists and people who tried to worm their way in there and find out answers, but the door was firmly shut um, to answers. There was one very brief interview she gave in the early years afterwards um, where she, that's where the amnesia um, explanation came from, from that brief interview. But aside from that, she, she really never spoke about it again. What are the other ways that you, you researched the disappearance, um, particularly to understand the, the, the people that you were describing, you're describing in your story, the personalities? Right. Um, well, the story um, is really told from, to at least the first two-thirds of it are told from two perspectives. One is sort of the, the arc of Agatha's life, you know, those, the, the years leading up to the disappearance, how she was, the, the issues she was struggling with, the sort of way she started to enter into the world of writing, what drew her to it, the things that fascinated with her, um, and, you know, things like, you know, the fact that she worked in a dispensary as a pharmacist assistant that really gave her knowledge of poisons and those sorts of things. Um, the first, so the first um, of the first two-thirds of the book, every other chapter is her story. The alternating chapters are the story of the 11 days told from her husband's disappearance, and her husband's perspective, excuse me. And in terms of research material for those, I had a, an abundance of material. Um, this event, her disappearance, really captivated the um, imagination of the public, um, all sorts of media, not just in England, but really across the world. And so there were an enormous number of articles available to me to, to study what was happening day by day as the events unfolded. You know, she disappeared um, on December 3rd. Um, her car, as you mentioned, was found running at first, empty, her belongings strewn about, very mysterious circumstances. Um, and the fact that this young woman who was a mother, the wife of a World War I hero, and a mystery novelist had disappeared in these sorts of circumstances was really intriguing to people. And so journalists really descended on the site. The coverage started right away. Volunteers and the hundreds and then thousands started to come and comb the field, stretch the lake. Um, you know, it was one of the first instances in which planes were used to kind of survey the landscape. Um, and when day after day, despite all this assistance, the various authorities were turning up nothing, they started to enlist the help of other famous writers, right? They called Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to the scene um, to see if he, you know, the creator of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, if he could shed any light. Um, it's our understanding he took one of her gloves and um, shared it with a psychic to see if she could give any insights, which, of course, she couldn't. Dorothy Sayers, another famous um, uh, mystery writer who later became a good friend of Agatha Christie's, um, she was called to the scene, also couldn't find anything. So as the days mounted, the press started to get more and more um, frenzied in the coverage, especially 
as less than savory details about Archie started to, to come to the forefront. So I had a wealth of information about those 11 days, about the characters involved, the police constables. We just know a lot. Less is known, of course, um, about what happened from Agatha's perspective. And that's where the fiction came in, you know, really drawing upon her her autobiography, um, interviews, um, things that family members have said about her, um, those sorts of things really helped fill in the blanks there. And how did you perfect the, the manners and the social norms and the language of 1920s Britain? I, I, it's probably a silly question because it's no. all there in her books, really. You're right. I mean, certainly one of the things I did was reread all of her books as I was doing this, in particular, the books leading up to her disappearance. Um, and, you know, from those books, you can certainly you know, gather language and attire. And, of course, I do tons of my own independent research about the time period, anything from a macro perspective, you know, governmental changes, politics, to smaller things, what people are wearing, what they're eating, all the, the, the kinds of things that really help, hopefully, help bring the world to life. Um, but something that kind of interesting happened, um, I bought, as I mentioned, I've had, Agatha on my list to write about for a long time, and I bought years ago her autobiography, which I had already mentioned, but the version that I had also had a CD, you know, when people actually play CDs, um, and she, it's, it's um, a recording of Agatha narrating her autobiography, and I can't tell you how important it was for me in kind of conjuring her, her inner voice and the, and the way she spoke and her intonation um, listening to her narrator life. Um, and so that, I think, was that, you know, always in, in um, writing a book, there's one crucial piece of research that kind of unlocks the character for you. And for me, it was that recording. So speaking of Agatha Christie's voice, here's a fun question. If you could invite Agatha Christie and four other writers to dinner, who would be the other four? Ooh, gosh. Well, um, can I stretch the question a little? Like, there's just other authors I'd love to have with her, and then I'd love to do a different dinner with Agatha and have people in, other writers kind of involved at the time period. Like, if I had just a dream table, I would, of course, always have Agatha. Um, I'd probably have other writers that I just love and admire. Um, I'm a huge lover of Margaret Atwood. I love her work. Um, and Octavia Butler, I don't know if you know her, but she's a wonderful writer of a huge canon of science fiction. Of science fiction, yeah. Um, David, I love her. David Mitchell, who's written such a panoply of incredible um, novels. And a newer author has two books come out. Her name's um, Yaa Jessie. She wrote Homegoing, which is wonderful, and um, the more recent Transcendent Kingdom. I mean, I just think these people have all created such incredible worlds, all very different um, but the conversation, would they're so inspirational to me, all of them, that I would just love that to hear that rich conversation about how they create their stories and their own inspiration. But this isn't a side, this isn't what you asked. I'd love to have, after writing this book and, and, and reading widely, not just the the Christie's works, but rereading some Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Dorothy Sayers, I'd love to have dinner with Agatha Christie, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and Dorothy Sayers. I just think that would be something magical about that. I don't know. Um, but that would pro- those would probably be my two dream dinners. It, w- it would be fun. I think the newer authors 
might actually be in awe of Agatha Christie because oh, definitely. her legacy is so huge and it, it doesn't diminish with the years. In fact, it probably gets stronger thanks to all the different types of new media and uh, on-demand television and the books just keep on coming and being republished and being republished. It, it just seems never-ending. I agree with you, and I think two things that I think are really interesting about that. I think with the, you know, we see all these new adaptations of her work, and, and with each fresh adaptation, people look with, with a fresh lens through her books, and they see things that earlier adaptations didn't see, earlier readers might not have seen. And I think, it, you know, that sheds light on really how textured and nuanced her books are. You know, you can read them on so many different levels, and going back to them and rereading some of them, you know, from my research that I hadn't read, you know, maybe for 20 years, I saw things in them that I hadn't seen before. And I saw Agatha Christie in them, too. You know, some of her early books, for instance, The Man in the Brown Suit, which is one of her earliest books, it's really like a caper more than anything. It's such an insight into the young Agatha Christie. And when we get to, say, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, you have a different Agatha Christie. And, and you know, so you're seeing all these interesting layers, and I think you're right. As a result of that, her fame just continues to grow. I was actually doing an event with, um, at a, I've done many events for the book launch, but I've done a lot of virtual book visits, which I would normally be doing in person. Um, and several different booksellers told me, that one of the books, the books that have been selling the most during the pandemic are Agatha Christie novels. That there's something about them, the um, both the sort of unsolvable puzzles at their core, that really is a keeping people's minds active, but also something about the way in which this, this magnificent world that she's created becomes disordered through a murder or some other cataclysmic event. And then her detectives are able to restore order at the end. And there's something about that is so deeply satisfying to people right now that it's like it's like a whole new rediscovery of her and her canon. I have a 14-year-old daughter who also discovered Agatha Christie during the pandemic, much to my surprise, and then asked for more copies. No more books, yes. That's, that's, see, I think that's, that's exactly when I discovered her. And um, there's just something about it. And it, it's... She, more than so many other authors, has just not just even withstood the test of time, she, she grows with time and grows with the time that she's in, I think. Indeed. All right, uh, our final question, which we ask to everybody, what book yeah. or books are you currently reading? That's such a tough question because I read, well, of course, I'm always reading research for whatever I'm working on, and, I, and I'm so fortunate to be asked to give blurbs to a lot of um uh, other historical fiction authors, and there's, it's been wonderful to see how many um, authors are writing about women from the past. I'm just, I'm just enjoying that so much. But what I probably have read for pleasure most recently, just for myself, um, is a Margaret Aswith's most recent book, The Testaments, which I really loved. I just, lo- I, she was one of my four that I picked to have dinner with. So I'm a, uh, she's an, a special favorite of mine, and I. I love seeing her complete the arc of The Handmaid's Tale all these decades later in the Testaments. It's just really wonderful. I have to say, I'm probably one of the later readers of it, but I, I recently finished Richard Cowers' The Overstory, right. which I just loved. Um, I, it's such a, an opus, and um, 
the way in which he really shifts the lens on the way we look at the world around us was really magnificent. Right. Two good choices. Okay. All right. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, Many thanks to Marie Benedict, the author of The Mystery of Mrs. Christie. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me today to talk. And and what a wonderful conversation about the incredible Agatha Christie. Thank you so much. And good luck with the book. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real treat to talk to you. No problem. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. My name is Richard Davis and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast and we'll see you all again soon.